0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. I am still riding solo. Frank the Tank is wandering aimlessly through Idaho with Jordan Cower and someone else. Um, Sounds like it's snowing. Um I know Frank will not be peeing by camp or the truck cuz Jordan will shoot him. Other than that, we wish him the best. Uh today we've got a really good friend of mine, uh traditional archer as well as a gun guy, uh fitness dude, uh big part of Mountain Ops, Matt Crimson Chin Davis. What's going on, man? <laughs>
1: Crimson Chin, big dang man. That's uh that's that's a new one. I definitely that's a have Jeff to Lander one.
0: Because yeah. your jaw and his jaw are both kind of like sculpted from a Greek oh. god. And I think there's a cartoon. The part
1: of, <laughs> yeah, I was, gonna, I was gonna say the only part of from a Greek god is Jeff's chin. Other than that, yeah, cartoon. But love the dude.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a little bit short for his weight. Um, you know, I, I mean, mathematically, he probably could gain six inches uh and heights and it all probably even out somewhere in there
1: he's he definitely built like a freaking bull that is for sure
0: <laughs> yeah yeah he played linebacker i think in college he looks like a linebacker
1: oh did he re- i didn't even know that i figured he just always shot bears deer and birds <laughs> oh no he, he played for <laughs> he was a buff
0: he was a buff bastard when he was younger um he, uh, yeah, he's, he's funny. Um, I wish I had his voice. It's kind of like that James Earl Jones voice, just rock you to sleep. Like, can you imagine him singing, like reading a bedtime story to you? He's kind of passed the f- out, you know, whatever. But anyhow.
1: <laughs> well, he, he's to- he has like this radio voice when he talks to you in person, it's completely different from when he talks to you on the phone. And we, everybody that knows Jeff laughs about it, but even uh, just talking to me, he called me last night. Is just talking a little bit about our aunt we got coming up here in a couple of weeks and uh i just always laugh at him because he every time he says something it's followed by a uh, uh, <laughs> like, <"Hey>, matt, uh.
0: <laughs> yeah uh okay. yeah that that's funny so, so yeah for for those that don't know uh matt is going to come up with uh, frank and i and uh for that last week of uh season up in alberta so that'll be cool
1: I'm freaking pumped man that's been a a dream hunt of mine as long as I bow hunted I mean Al- Alberta mule deer is just just one of those experiences and seeing a bunch of your content and, and a handful of other guys that have, that have been up there it just looks like a bow hunter's paradise
0: yeah it, it is and I mean I'm not I'm not gonna church it up I'm personally tired of sleeping on the ground right now and you get to sleep in a bed um Although I, I'm going up early. It sounds like I got to sleep on the cot or the floor for the first week or so because I'm going up before you guys. But, you know, you know, yeah. you're going to see deer, um, you know, you're going to get stocks every day. And, you know, those are all uh, very conducive to a happy hunt when you, <laughs> you know, you you know, you got a heated room to go home to and you know, you're going to get the stock, uh, at least get a couple stocks a day. I uh, mean, you can't ask for more than that.
1: No, oh, heck no, man. I mean, heck, right right now we're we've got our uh, our extended archery season here in Utah, and anybody that understands the Wasatch Front, even to the smallest degree, knows that it's the biggest cluster in the world, and uh, you, you definitely it, it's not the same experience that I'm hoping to have up there in Alberta. So,
0: <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no, for for sure. You do run into some locals a little bit, you know, like uh, that was one thing. Um, well, those deer up there are smart because they get hunted a lot. You don't have a lot of local pressure, but you certainly do have some. Uh, you know, it sounds yeah. like the, the rifle season is a kind of a gong show, not as bad for, you know, bow season or whatever. And it's kind of a mixture of 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 land that we hunt that's, um, you know, farmers or whatever that you get permission on. But, you know, some of them, you know, the permission, they let anybody on there. Um you know, type of a Mm -hmm. thing, but no, it'll be, it'll be good. You shot a, you got a, a a spike this year in in elk season, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't even know if he qualifies as a spike, but he he had a penis, so he was (laughs) definitely male. (laughs) That's all that matters. (laughs) I call, I call him nub. He's got like these little four inch nubs and I don't, smallest spike I've ever seen for sure. I mean, he had a decent body on him, but yeah, I've never seen anything like that. But heck, man, after eight days of chasing chasing, uh, Ryan Lampers around in the mountains, I was like, "Perfect, I'm shooting that one. It's by itself. Goodbye."
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm sure. Hey, uh, Matt, pop that thing off uh, speaker for a sec. I want to see how it sounds. If it sounds any different,
1: yeah.
0: Oh no, no problem. What? uh, How was it hunting with uh, Lampers? I've never. I've only talked with him a few times. I, I, sound, I, From what I understand, he's in pretty good shape and the machine on the mountain.
1: Yeah, the guy definitely has a he's, – he's got a motor, man, and he – definitely a different, I mean, style of, of hunting than I'm used to. I mean, Utah, right, we're hunting elk early archery, so like August 15th, and then basically by the time September rolls around, by, by Labor Day weekend, our general season's over. Utah's kind of dumb in the way that they – give a uh, priority to the rifle hunters, the limited entry rifle hunts, like in the peak of the rut. So they definitely uh, clean house there. But so I'm just not used to, I mean, I call, but not, not a ton. I mean, being kind of a track guy, you know, I set up and I glass, I find the elk, I watch him to go to bed. And then basically I'll slip up above him. And usually I'll get up in the middle of the day, start milling around. And that's kind of where I position myself. I think gull probably four of the six elk that I've killed have been at like in the middle of the day between like one and three o'clock, which just when they get up to stretch their legs and bebop around. So that's, that's just how I've always hunted. So it, it was hard for me, obviously, I mean, we're just putting on, you know, 10 to 12 miles a day, a lot of vertical, just running around, just bugle, 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 trying to find, you know, a player. And uh, it was, it was frustrating because you'd see elk and it's like, No, that one's not talking. We're not going to go hunt it. I'm like, but it's an elk. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Why don't we go over there and try and kill it? So it was definitely different, and I was excited to, you know, anytime I get the opportunity to hunt with with somebody else, I kind of want to go sponge mode. It's like I don't want to hunt my way. Like I want to hunt their way because I I definitely want to learn new tactics and kind of become a little more well-rounded. So I learned a lot, and and Ryan's just one of the kindest people – ever i'd never met him before never even spoken to him woke up in camp shake hands and we head up the mountain you know and so 10 days in the mountains with someone you've never met before it's kind of cool i feel like that's a a unique thing about hunting is that you can throw a group of random dudes together and you're all pretty good friends by the end of day one just because you kind of have a common goal and you're out there enjoying the same thing so it was a lot of fun it was a really good hunt and hopefully I'll get to do it again, but hopefully next time I go, there's more elk and they're actually talking.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It's, we were talking, John, I had John Pinch on yesterday and John and I have hunted a bunch together and uh, we were talking about, well, we actually brought up like Brian call with Gritty. Brian and I yeah. can hang out every day. Well, I don't know if it's reciprocal on his end. I can hang out with Brian every day <laughs> as long as we're not hunting the moment we yeah. hunt i might kill him uh is that my fault oh i'm sure some of it is uh there's no doubt but the, it's the difference in uh personalities right and 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 finding right. someone to follow around on a, a mountain all the time that you get along with and you know cuz you're talking about sleep deprivation food deprivation and all the other great mm-hmm. things about backpack hunting or hunting in general you i mean it's not any different than dating if every time you and the <laughs> wife are tired you scream at each other that's probably a bad sign but if you both have the wherewithal to go to neutral corners chill for a bit and come back out not swinging that's you know you kind of want <laughs> the same thing for a hunting partner yeah man it's hard to find
1: no there's there, there's no doubt it's that's kind of why for me it's not that I'm trying to be submissive, but I, I want to learn. And I think you know, both you and Brian are definitely alphas, right? So you get these alpha personalities. It's like oh, I want to go here. No, I want to go here, and <laughs> I can definitely see where where that would clash. But I know Brian enjoyed hunting with you and said a lot of good things about it. But I'm looking forward to hunting with you, dude. This is this will be our first hunt we actually get to go out together.
0: Oh yeah, no, it'll be it'll be good. And that's kind of what you know, John and I were talking about in the sense of. I, um, uh, well, I'll be interested to see because, uh, I'm about the most passive guy hunting known to man because I, I just don't <laughs> give a shit, right? I'm like, eh, ah, whatever. Yeah. Ah. But what, what happens generally, and, and, uh, obviously this is no, um, negative thing toward, towards Brian or anyone else I've ever hunted with. This goes into the, um, the, the type of hunter that you need to mesh with, you could have 10 guys on the side of a mountain, eight of them are probably going to have the same potential stock, meaning they have the same route or they have the same, yeah. you know, whatever. Two of them may have something completely different or five and five, whatever the case may be you are not going to mesh the one five with the other five for long periods of time without them butting heads. Like one guy's a super aggressive caller and one guy's a stalker. They're gonna fucking kill each other by the end of the month. Oh yeah. There's no way about I mean, cause it goes against everything one guy's used to doing. And it's not like mm-hmm. both groups aren't successful. But you know, each 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 type of person or each hunter's have their own success. They just don't mesh. <laughs>
1: No, I think that's a super, super valid point. There's more than one way to skin a cat, right? I mean, there's a handful of guys that all they do is call elk in. I mean, I haven't had the chance to hunt with Corey Jacobson, but I've just heard of guys that have hunted with him, and he'll sit there and just cover ground, bugle, 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 and they'll have bulls bugle back at him. He's like, man, that's not the bull. He's not not hot. He's not ready, and they just keep going. It's like, but he answered. And so that's like for maybe even someone like me where I'm not as experienced as calling – That's the harder part for me to understand. I'm like, dude, if I hear a bugle, I'm pumped because that means I can sneak in or have a general idea of where they are. And I haven't even seen them yet or whatever, but you're right. You get two completely different approaches, two different personality types. And it's, you don't know what's going to happen. Could be good. Could be bad. (laughs) Oh
0: yeah. No, I mean, you couldn't, I mean, Frank and I obviously have, I can't shut up and Frank never talks. Obviously that's a huge difference, but as far as hunting goes, (laughs) You, Frank, and I are about mirror image of of each other. You know what I mean? Like we've lost oh, yeah. lost animals arguing over who gets to shoot it. Yeah, I mean that. You know, like no, no. He's like, you got the stick bow, man. It's close enough. Go ahead. And I'm like, nah, I don't know, dude. I might not hit it. Go ahead, shoot at the compound. Next thing you know, it's like son of a bitch, it just passed us. Nobody shot at it. Damn it. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, you know, the man. Not to talk about and turn this into a hunting partner podcast, but you have there's so many different dynamics in you know you do you do get guys that seem to always blame stuff on everyone else around you and then you get other guys that may not be as um maybe as aggressive as is uh other people might, like South Cox was talking about, um, good Lord, who is it he just hunted with? He's a traditional archery master, um, he's 80 still hunting, um, Larry D. Jones.
1: Oh, Larry,
0: yeah, Larry D. Jones. He's like, yeah, Larry's a bit more passive than I am. In fact, it kind of drove me crazy, because Larry is like super slow and methodical, and South is like right. a banshee coming in until he's close, and then he turns into a ninja. I mean— Yep. It's not like you're going to – that's a horrible thing, but it's it's certainly two different, um, totally different thought processes. You know, you get a super aggressive guy or whatever, it can, you know, c- become a problem. And, I mean, I don't know how many different guys – have you ever gotten into where there's a – you know, you walk away from a hunt and where you're like, man, I don't think I'm going to hunt with that guy anymore?
1: <laughs> well, there, there's def- – you know, you, you think that when you leave if you come out unsuccessful. One of my – my best friends, Robbie White. I think you actually met Robbie a couple of times. He lived out in Colorado and came on a couple of hikes with you guys. I think he was wearing a, a competitor's pack, and then you let him carry one of yours, and now he's rocking a tar. So you definitely converted him. But I remember
0: that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there was. We made he, fun of him a lot in the middle of that. But yeah, no.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so Robbie Robbie was one of my is one of my best friends. He actually just moved back to Utah, but he he was definitely like. I mean, the guy's torso is like two inches long, and then he's six-something of legs. I mean, he's just a horse on the mountain. And, uh, you know, we went we went and hunted Colorado together like two years ago, right? And he's just – he is full-bore, like super aggressive. And I would say kind of how you describe south, that's how I am. It's like I'm going to bull rush into the red zone, and then I'm going to try and go ninja mode. And Robbie's just like – Dude, I'm going to go try jump on that thing's back, like at a dead sprint. So, <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you how many times we would walk back to the truck at night just fuming pissed at each other. We wouldn't talk because we go chase these bulls down this canyon. He'd do something or I'd do something, and we would just look at each other and just like, I'm so mad at you, like, F you. Like, uh, Yeah, yeah. Walk back, and then you wake up in the morning, and you're like, all right, let's try that again. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, that's funny. I, see, and I can't deal with that. I'm not going to lie. I can't do it. I just, I can't. <laughs> drives me. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't I just, it is, man, I got to say, like, with, with Frank or even Lander, like, I, coming up this, I'm coming up, I'm going up there for three weeks with Lander. And I, I asked Lander right. ahead of time, I'm like, dude, can you handle me for three weeks? And he's like, oh, man, you, uh, you know, this voice, right? He's like. There's, like, yep. uh, three people that are on that list, and you're one of them because you uh, don't complain and uh, I can just kind of leave you wherever. and uh, But you do eat a lot, so we're probably going to have to <laughs> prep for that. But, you know, three, <laughs> three weeks, like, I can handle Lander every day because he's just funny. But, I mean, oh, yeah. you, th- you think about it, like, uh, uh, for me, it's all about the experience and enjoyment of it. Man, if I'm pissed yep. all day, I just can't do it. Even if you're okay at the end of the day, I still was pissed for 12 out of the 14 hours I was awake. I don't want that, you know.
1: that's <laughs> so difficult. No, for that's, me. that's that's a that's a good good freaking point. I mean, for, hunting's supposed to be fun, man. That's I guess for me, one of the many reasons it's like that. I hunt with traditional equipment. It's like, dude, every stock opportunity, every animal is exciting to me, and you're and you're having fun, and it's cool, and you learn, and that's just like. I don't know. To me, that's the point of hunting. Hunting shouldn't be some super stressful, like just something you don't love to do. You know?
0: No, it's never fun when you're constantly worried about what step you take or what call you make because your buddy's going to yell at you. Um, that always sucks, <laughs> and that that is no doubt <laughs> one thing with Frank because he. Cause he does, you've hunted with Frank. he don't say a whole lot uh, usually when he no, does, no. though. It's worth listening. Uh, we are. We're not arguing. We were deciding if I should stock on this buck because he was in his first bed, and we knew he was going to move. And I'm like, I don't know, man. That is a hard for me to pass up. If I can get down there fast enough, I'm not going to get a better shot opportunity. And Frank just looks over. He goes, I think you should wait. And he looks back in the optics. That's as much as I got out of him. And I'm like, trying <laughs> to throw the sales pitch on him. I'm like, dude, though, with the stick bow, I'm not, I, I may not get a better option. You know, as far as right. a stock, because I'm I'm gonna be able to get within 18 yards. And he looks over. He's like, "I think you should wait." And he looks back in the optics. <laughs> like, okay, pretty sure <laughs> a man a man of
1: few words. Sure. Oh yeah,
0: pretty certain I know where Frank stands on this. You know, and we ended up waiting, and it and it kind of turned out like I thought it would, in the sense of he rebetted in a position harder for me to get to. You know, I got within seventy, couldn't close the deal. He ended up seeing or winning or whatever. But I there was it's not like when I got back that I was like, I told you so because I could have easily have dropped down there and him moved on the way down and blew it out that way. Um Right. You know, so you gotta mesh like that or whatever and, and sometimes you just don't don't mesh. Um, you know, I don't know. I remember hunting <laughs> was the guy for elk and for the life of me he just couldn't not squeeze that fucking uchi mama call it just made him feel good oh my and it was one of those deals where i'm like dude just don't squeeze that unless it's an emergency and he was in front of me and i'd be calling him for it and the bull would start bugling and he would squeeze it and i'm like dude you're like sounding off an alarm to let the bull know you where you are like Stop. So finally got to a point I took it from him and it caused a quite a stir uh, because I didn't want him to have the damn call, Uh, which I wish that that's like a Facebook worthy upload uh, argument we had over that stupid hoochie mama call. So, yeah, there's all kinds of crap that happens when you're in the woods hunting.
1: (laughs) no and 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 just an awesome frank i mean you you know better than anybody but hunting with frank is just a, a freaking blast he's such a like you said not not a man of many words but the handful of times that i've got to hunt with frank i enjoy it. he's such a such a good dude so i mean for what's what's even the word he's just he's just nice he's just a kind person he's always trying to put other people first and he's just there to have a good time so
0: You call him be like, look, I just killed three people and (laughs) I need help. And he'd be like, okay, I'm going to go fill up. I'll grab a shovel. Should I grab the OR bags or just trash bags? And how big a pack do I need? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's just how Frank is. I mean, of course, he'll be yep. the guy that calls you and says, hey, my truck broke down. I'm seven hours away and I have no money. Can you come get me? You do get that side of Frank as well. Um,
1: hey, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. The <laughs> so dude. Didn't it break twice on him, like back to back?
0: Oh, yeah. But there, there's other stories with Frank. And I mean, he has some funny ones of me, <laughs> I'm sure. But I had a gallbladder... Like flare up, had to go to the hospital. I'm all drugged up. Frank calls me because his brakes are out. And I told him to repair his brakes before he pushed it to the limit. So he drove it so long, the brakes would not stop the vehicle. So he calls oh, me <laughs> and says, You know, I need you to come get me whatever. And I was like, Let me get this ride. I just spent a night in the hospital. And because you didn't listen to me, I have to come pick you up. <laughs> and he's like, Yeah. Yep, yeah, pretty pretty much. Yeah, that's I need you to come get me. So pull, yeah, I think that's what I said, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I pull in. You can hear, t- I'm not, I should not have drove. I'm effed up on, like, I don't know what, right? I'm not, should not have drove. So Frank hears tires squealing and honking and shit, and I pull in, and he was like... Did you cut all those people off? I'm like, you better drive. Uh, he's like, what? And I'm like, I stumble out of the car and I'm like, I'm not kidding, man. I, I'm not sure what I've been, t- what drugs they've given me, but they're good. I think you better drive
1: home, dude. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's three of you right now, and I'm talking to the middle one. I hope that's right. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, oh, that's funny. Well, what? Uh, I just I did a, a podcast earlier with with Trent Wingard, and uh, are yeah. you, are you shooting one of his bows now, or or were you, or what are you what are you uh, throwing throwing sticks downrange with?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm still shooting one of Trent's bows. I've actually I've got two of them. Both of them are the uh, the ibex. The first one he built me. I had him do a solid G10. I was just, you know, back when I was in my Hoyt days, I was so used to shooting, you know, a heavy metal machined aluminum riser. So I was like, oh, perfect, that G10 is indestructible and super heavy. Well, it kind of ended up being maybe a little bit too heavy for me. So I had him build me another bow and I went with the 64 inch. And this is actually the first 64 uh, inch bow that I've ever shot or owned. I've, I've shot them before, but I actually had for myself. And I'm really digging that bow. That's what I've used for. I guess since opening opening day here in Utah uh, went with like a, a maple core on it and then just the G10 handle. So it's kind of a best of best of both worlds. And I really enjoy transpose I think as far as craftsmanship, I mean, obviously you've seen, seen his stuff, Aaron. I mean, he's extremely, extremely talented and he makes a really good shooting bow. Is it the fastest? No. Is it the smoothest? No. But in like, for me, it's always give and take in archery, right? Nothing, nothing comes free in any aspect of a bow. Um, so, as far as like a well-rounded bow and one that fits me really well, his his bow, I mean, it's 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 like picking up and putting on a glove. But that doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's for everybody. But because you, you're still, you really kind of got drawn in, on, and I've and I've shot Black Widows before, but I know that's just kind of been your jam, and you just shoot the fire out of them, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I uh, Trent and I talked about this earlier. Like, by no means am I a traditional archery expert, but one thing I am certain of is, if you go in and to the Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear, and I use that because I got every bow known to man, and you shoot thirty bows, (laughs) one or two of them are going to kind of sing to you. They're just going to be your bow. Yep. I Trent's bow is that I can shoot Trent's bow just like that. Hits where I look. You know what I mean. It it, it fits me. The mm-hmm. I try not to talk too much because I've got you on the podcast, so I'm, I'll try and shut up quickly. But as an example, stri- no. <laughs> Striker sent me a bunch of bows, and uh uh-huh. uh, you know, I had a Wingard and a Rampart and Palmer and a bunch of other bows, and and uh, you know, some from, uh, Lancaster put some together for me. One of the mm-hmm. first things was. Black Widow got the bows to me the earliest and so I was able to shoot them more and so like the striker bows which I actually got to send them back to him um were great bows I didn't have any I mean especially that RK1 for an aluminum riser bow unbelievable bow but part of it also for me is mental like I put animals yep. down with the widow. I'm consistent with the widow. That's not to say I wouldn't be consistent with a wingard or a I don't know whatever a I don't know a silver tip or something. But dude, that that camo widow right now is on its seventh or fourth or I don't know. It's on its whateverth animal, and uh, in a yeah. short period of time and. I, you know, you you don't want to get rid of the juju. You're only good as your last shot, and if you know that thing's capable of hitting <laughs> shit, you're, you know, on the other side of the, the the fence, I guess. Is uh, I didn't exactly lay them down the first part of the deer season to a point. I'm like, is this bow cursed? I, I can't seem to hit anything. <laughs> what the hell's going on? So, but no, but m- right. m- It it, it kind of goes both ways. But I mean, you shot. You and I both shot. Well, you're the one that really was a big part of me with traditional archer. You got me shooting the buffalo, um, and which was a great bow. And then you were a big part of um, the design, or you had a lot of um, concepts, I guess you could say, on the Satori, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that was kind of. My, my, my baby in a way, and I definitely won't say because I'm not an engineer, so I'm not going to say like the ins and out, but definitely some of the theories behind it, and obviously giving that to uh, Douglas Denton, who's the, the the solo man on the recurve side, things over at Hoyt Archery. He was able to kind of bring that stuff to life. I won't say that I love the the cosmetic look of the bow. I definitely wanted something a little more simple, but they definitely put their own flair on there, but the overall performance of that riser and what it's capable of doing to really being a, a one size fits all type riser obviously it's offered offered in a 17 19 and 21 inch riser but the the capabilities of what that bow can do i i, I wish there was a, a wood bow that you could do that with an adjustable side plate um being really able to play with your tiller the right grip i mean all those different things that's it's they're super important right and at the end of the day, I, I, I don't know of another bow out there like the Satori. But for me, I guess as far as, you know, and I shot it for a while, even after um, I left Hoyt and came over here to Mountain Ops. I shot it for a while, but as long as I'd shot traditional archery, I was shooting a Hoyt, right? And there's just that that curiosity that we all have, whether it's with guns or bows or gear or whatever, right? Like, we're just kind of gear junkies, and i was like, man... I kind of want to explore the world of traditional bows. And I think that's, for me, the coolest thing about traditional bows is I don't have to wait every year for Hoyt to come out for their, with their new bow. I don't have to wait for Matthews or Bowtech or whatever. It's like I can order whatever kind of bow I want and have it look however the heck I want, whenever I want. And that's pretty freaking cool. I mean, I've got like eight different bows right now. I've got a couple of stockers, um... I had one good friend that built me just this custom uh, 17-inch riser. I've got some of those uh, Morrison Max 5 uh, Super Curve limbs on them. Those are freaking sweet, um, and then I've got a handful of Transpos. So I've got a bunch of different bows, and I love playing and shooting them all, but I think, I guess, coming back to wanting to explore and then coming over from a Satori, it's like it's it's fun, and I think it's it's nice to be able to shoot what I want when I want. And right now that's
0: just my winger. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And South South's another good example. I got one of his bows at the house that I shoot pretty dang good. And uh I'll be, again, like you said, like everyone has their own special flavor. South's another guy that's got obviously a great um, you know, reputation. You know, and, and South also for guys just getting into it. I mean, as far as a person attached to a traditional bow company, you're probably not going to find – I mean South is at the top of it. And what I mean by that is you know, if you look at um, – well, me with Kafaru. Okay, prob- I probably mm-hmm. have a really well known name attached to Kefaru. And so, you know, that helps Kefaru. But if you look at, like, I don't know, Mystery Ranch, they don't really have a, a name as well hooked to the pack. Uh, as an example, no face, right? it's, yes. more of,
1: it's more of a face, not just a name, but a face.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and so with South, you've got like the, you know, whatever, seven year champ uh, mule deer stalker, right? I mean, the guy's a ninja. And that helps a lot get oh. his name out.
1: Well, that's kind of where he blew up, right? When the Full Draw Film Tour was still doing their thing, South went really hard and started putting his films in there. And that just, I, I think that kind of sparked a lot of the, I guess, the traditional uproar. Because, right, I mean, it was three or four years ago. Not many guys were shooting them. It wasn't this popular thing on social media. And then all of a sudden, South starts doing a couple different things. A couple different guys started shooting trad bows. And it kind of blew up, right? And I... And I have a whole kind of, I guess, theory on a lot of this. But one of the things I think, because I don't think there was a really big retention within that, I think a lot of guys went out and got these these bows, not to derail the conversation per se, but I think a lot of guys got bows that were too much for them as far as weight and fit and stuff like that. They just Everyone was drawn to South and obviously South making recommendations based on information that people are giving him but I know a handful of guys that I've shot traditional league with or, or met at shoots and stuff like that. And I see them shoot their bows and I'm like, well, dude, that's not, it it could be the right bow, but it's not the right length or it's not the right weight, or for, for people learning to get in. And so I think a lot of the retention wasn't held there because I mean, you go on Facebook and look at a Facebook classified, there's, there's a lot of those really high end bows that come and go regularly from people that, you know, wanted to get into traditional archery, but didn't start in the right place. If that makes sense, and that's not a knock on South or anything. He, he he didn't do anything wrong, but I think at the end of the day, the the biggest problem is that there isn't a lot of good traditional information out there, and maybe one thing about the traditional community that could could, could change. I, I feel like there's a lot of, and I won't I won't I guess say any names, but I see like particular groups and man, there's some older gentlemen that are just freaking brutal on people, man. It's like if you don't see things their way or if you have a different opinion than their tried and true 900 grain arrow, single beveled wiki, whatever, it's like you're wrong. And I think they push a lot of people out. So I don't know. It's interesting to see how that's unfolding. And I don't know what you've seen, Aaron. I mean, I I know you've got a lot of friends that you shoot with. Do you feel like – I guess the retention of that influx from traditional archery three years ago still exists. Do you think there's as many guys still doing it?
0: Man, I don't I would say if you looked at the numbers of who started three years ago, who's doing it now, it's probably not great, but I would say that there's more people starting now uh yeah. or, or shooting now. I don't know about the retention because once you got there and get your ass kicked, a lot of people probably are like, Yeah, this wasn't for it's me. Hard. Oh yeah. But <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I um Uh, Yeah, I think that it seems to be growing for sure. I mean, my buddy made a comment in – what did he say? You can't throw a stalker stick bow without hitting a guy wearing a mountain ops hat on social media. It was pretty funny actually. Um, That is funny.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I mean – and I can't remember
0: if it was a stalker. He just said a stick bow or something. But, you know, you do get a lot of – you do see a ton of – um, traditional archery post. Obviously, there's not always dead animals um, at, with them. You know, it may just be a sunrise right. with a bow in it. But a lot of people, you know, trying it out. And, you know, it's funny. You get Jake Downs. I think his name is. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, he, I've seen Jake before.
0: Man, like that guy. I need to get that guy on a hunt. That guy kills all kinds of shit. Super humble dude. You know, you know what I mean. And he's yeah. a guy. He's getting it done you know, all the time. And he goes back and forth between a compound and a, and a stick bow, um, you know, yep. a, a decent bit. Um, I think that's his It's Jake Downs, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, Jake Downs. Like He changes changes his Instagram handle every 10 minutes, but I believe it's, yeah, yeah, sure he, his real name's Jake. He just shot a goat,
0: <laughs> um, you know, a mountain goat. And I think some of the people that pick it up, You know, recently in the last year or two may kind of accept the fact that maybe they'll use the stick bow on certain hunts and the compound on some. Um, You know, I'm getting to the point now where I don't know, I highly doubt I'll, I mean, I might pick up a compound again, but I'm kind of more of, I might grab a gun for a couple of hunts and do the majority of my hunting with the stick bow and then occasionally tip something over with a rifle, you know, just for the simple fact, I don't like hunting in the cold weather. If I'm going to do it, I think I'm going to do it with a gun.
1: Um, when I say that, not I yeah, mean for me, whitetails.
0: And, oh yeah. Cause you usually do a couple, three hunts with a rifle each year. Don't you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got to the point, right. It, you know, when I first got into it, I was like, Oh, stick bow only, blah, 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 blah. Well I hadn't hunted with a rifle in like 10 years until last year, dude, I had a freaking ball. I mean, obviously it's not it's not the same challenge as traditional hunting but i guess for me the the biggest draw to traditional archery and i think there's a lot of benefits whether you're going to hunt with the compound or a rifle after like it does teach you to slow down i feel like when i picked up a stick bow that i became a much better hunter and and was more observant and patient etc cetera, etc cetera, et cetera, all these different things and so then when you go and you do pick up a rifle like I'm always going to try. I always take my trap though. Always. I'm always going to try and fill that tag. But if I'm going out of state, if I'm going out of country, if I'm doing these different things, I'm going to get my money's worth and I'm probably going to bring an animal home. So even if it comes down to the last day and I've got to tip one over with a gun, I don't care. I don't care what people think. I mean, that's that's how I hunt and that's how I want to enjoy hunting. So what's it to them?
0: <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And I, I think... Um... You know, there's uh, well in, in the outdoor industry in general. There's always all kinds of goofy shit going on, but with a traditional <laughs> archery, yeah. which thank God I kill stuff because it gives me some backing to make fun of people. But you get into the uh, like you got you know there was the uh, I don't want to want to call it um, the you know the, the the front of center crisis whatever I don't know what you know where everybody was trying to figure out how much front of center and you know what. <laughs>
1: You know, and they still they still
0: don't know, but <laughs> mm. Oh yeah, exactly. And you know, you have like the the Ashby guys and then um you know, my buddy Broderick, he, he has his own theories, kind of actually a little bit closer to where I'm at where I don't focus on yeah. an extreme FOC, just good FOC and a heavy arrow. And then, you know, you get guys mm-hmm. Randy Cooling's cranking a Four hundred and eighty grain arrow downrange, you know, and he's killed all kinds of shit. and He's shooting an arrow I would probably never shoot. We can't argue. The right. guy tips over stuff a, a lot. I, I mean, personal opinion here. I've seen a lot of the theories coming out of guys that haven't tipped a whole lot of stuff over. So, I saw a mm-hmm. guy the other day. And when I say a whole lot of stuff, I i really – what I'm saying is you haven't killed shit. Um, but you have your theories. And a guy the other day was talking about the, the day six arrows that, you know, the 100 grain inserts, the heaviest we have, and that's just not enough for him. You know, of course, I'm thinking, what the hell are you hunting? And, uh, you know, lo and behold, I think he shot a doe three years ago. Well, why does I, you know, call me an asshole or not, why does your opinion count, right? I, I ran out to my truck. Does that mean you want to take advice to running a marathon from me? Pro- probably not because um, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and you've had good success, and you run relatively decent, decently high front of center, don't you?
1: I know. I, I, I do, and I've, and I've had success on both end, both ends of the spectrum. I mean, even when I first started hunting, I was shooting – you know, 150 grain broadheads and the 75 grain brass insert out of an eastern axis, you know, so it's like I was shooting 15, 16% front of center, killed the first probably three animals that I shot with the stick bow that way. I was shooting like simmon sharks. Awesome. Had tons of success with that. And then over the years, I mean, for me, I guess my, my greatest pull to um, extreme front of center and then different things like that, like my current arrow right now, I'm shooting a, uh, a 400-spined um, VAP Elite, and then I'm shooting a 300-grain uh, uh, Valkyrie Jagger Broadhead and then just the standard. Um, aluminum. Not uh, Yeah, the aluminum. Excuse me. I wanted to say stainless, but, yeah, aluminum. So my arrows are like 570-something grains and like 25% front of center, something like that. And, but for me, at the end of the day, I guess I guess the thing that people get caught up on, and I've seen it in person, you know, there's guys that I've gone down and, and shot club with, and like, oh, i got my new arrow set up, I've got 34% front and center, or I've got this arrow that does this, and their arrows are tuned like garbage. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much FOCA you have, it doesn't matter what broadhead you shoot, it doesn't matter any of that garbage. If the bow isn't tuned, if the arrow isn't flying perfect, all that stuff goes out the door, so it's like there's just got to be a proper balance between, you know, front of arrow and total arrow weight and, and arrow speed. It's like there's kind of just this happy medium, and there's certain certain speeds that my eye recognizes. Like I want to shoot 180 feet per second, no matter what, out of a bow. That is what I recognize. So I build arrows to that specification, and if they come out at 19% front of center, sweet. If they come out at 12%. Who cares? But for me, like it's, it's a perfect tune, and then I'm shooting a lot less weight anymore. I don't. I mean, I only shoot fifty four pounds at, at my draw length now, so it's not like I'm shooting a ton of weight. So the theory of extreme front of center, you know, the the string tied to a rock and having that utmost mass on the front of your arrow carrying that energy, I've had great results with it, and it's performed for me right. But at the end of the day, there's like. Like anything in anything in life, there's more than one way to do it correctly, and that's okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's you know the way what you just brought up a for, perfect example. Our arrows weigh exactly the same. I have two thirty up front. You have three hundred. I mm-hmm. I like a more evenly weighted arrow. I I like a heavier arrow shaft and a more durable arrow shaft. And so I'm yeah. shooting an extra grain per inch or two per for my arrow. Um and then, you know, but the arrow weight is the same in the end, but my my arrow flight is, you know, much like you know, pretty much perfect, which is the number one thing I look at is is flight. You know what I mean? Like I Absolutely I like threading the needle through aspens on a three D course to give me a warm and fuzzy to know, ah, I just made it a forty yard shot with a twelve inch gap the whole way down and I didn't see any ping pong ball action going. So I'm I feel good about
1: that. Yeah, um, that, that Dude, That that's a great example. I mean, even to, like, just even on this little, little number spike that I shot. So I shot him at six yards through a cedar tree. And I'll have to send you a picture of the hole that I shot him through. But it was about the size of a baseball. And so knowing that my arrow is going to, I mean, I've got to shoot through the whole length of a tree. I mean, a six-foot-wide or six-yard-wide tree. I mean, six times three is 18. So big old cedar tree. And the fact that I knew that my arrow wasn't going to even kick or flutter or do anything coming out of that bow, and it's just that confidence, exactly what you said, being able to thread the needle. Because I've seen some guys that, yeah, their arrow might impact where they're looking, but I've watched those things cartwheel come out like a tomahawk, you name it. It's it's incredible what an arrow can do and still even hit what you want it to hit. But is that the most efficient way to get it there? Probably not.
0: Oh yeah. Now the man the devastation on my my buck um it was pretty cool because um I well so <laughs> it was funny cuz I shoot iron wheels. uh I shoot uh you know the Valkyrie system and then I shoot cutthroats and I don't
1: you got really a, know got what a mixed bag in the quiver. Oh yeah, I just grab them. <laughs> I don't really
0: pay attention, but I like that Iron Will <laughs> broadhead as as well, you know, and 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 uh mm-hmm. He called me and he's like, dude, you know, what do I need to change on this head to get you to shoot it all the time? And I said, you don't need to change anything. And he, you know, I was like, dude, you got to understand, I I chunked four or five arrows in the buckwheat before I killed my deer. Four (laughs) out of those five were iron wills. I just didn't have any left, man. I was like, I tried, you know, because I was trying to do some testing. And so I was, you know, for the greater good of people asking questions, I I wanted to kill the buck, honestly, with an iron will to bounce it off of, you know, different testing we're doing because I'm going to shoot Valkyries for the most part up. Well, not really. I'm going to shoot Valkyries a lot up in Alberta, or that was the plan. Now I may shoot iron wills a little more, but Brent. Sent me a bunch of those 175 shorties
1: and uh, the the new titanium,
0: yeah. And uh, you know, he's he's an Ashby guy, and he's you don't want to shoot anything bigger than a mule deer with the shorty. And I'm like, yeah, Brynn, I don't give a shit, I don't think that that's true myself, (laughs) I don't care. Send me a bunch of the shorties so. I shot that buck and I blew through one side and blew its leg off on the opposite side, right? So Frankel taught like the devastation that that broadhead did on a on a relatively far co- or traditional shot, it broke yeah. the leg just below the knuckle. So when we went to stand it up for photos, my kickstand kept breaking. It just kept rolling. I'm like, "What the hell's going on here?" <laughs> well, the leg was broken, and the, the broad head had just poked through like a quarter inch, the tip of it on the off side. You know, so yeah. I told Brent that and he's like, yeah, see with the longer one, you would have got to pass through. I'm like, yeah, Brent, I don't buy that shit. I'm like, I just don't. I don't <laughs> see how an extra half inch ahead would have magically made my arrow pass through the deer. I blew its leg off, man. Like, and I don't, you know, for me, I'm laid back on it. I don't, I'm like, Brent, come on, man. Are you? You shit me? You really think that? No doubt. And I'm like, well, brother, I got some doubts. I don't see that I... So, you know, but some people, I mean, it's like, you know, religion or politics or broadheads in front of center. You know, you probably don't want to argue about those if someone's liquored up, might come to a fist fight. Jesus, people get irate about that argument. And I'm like, I just don't that shorty to me is about as cool and perfect of a broadhead for me as you could get. And it's not exactly short. It's just not the three to one ratio. And, uh, right. anyway, and that's not to say I'm right. That's just how I feel. You know what I mean? That's not to say maybe maybe I would have blown right through that deer with a three to one, you know, uh, ratio head. But dude, when that thing hit and I saw the devastation, I was like, Good Lord. Like, I was impressed. You know what I mean? And that's with right. a 570-grain arrow. And, you know, then I got ding-dongs online telling me that I'm totally ass-backwards and I should be shooting an 800-grain arrow. And I'm like, well,
1: you know what? That deer's oh, on my yeah. wall, Chuckles.
0: Uh, it's fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's a difference of opinions. and And I guess my opinion on that would be there's too many variables in hunting to really – find something, like, conclusive, I guess. It may, maybe that's not right, but that's kind of my two cents. I mean, there's so many things that factor into a shot, what that animal's doing, the way it's positioned, the bones it hits, the angle it hits, and all these different things. It's like, man, you let that arrow go, and at the end of the day, if that animal's on my back, after that arrow's left the string, I'm happy. Oh, that's what I care about. If it's oh. a good, clean, quick kill, perfect. The, arrow, the broadhead did its job. That was a great broadhead.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, for sure. And I know you you you're shooting the more the three to one ratio, the longer ones. And I'm yep. not. I mean, it's not like I chose the 175s because that was like my pinnacle of of happiness. That's just all he had in stock. And so if i if I shot a you made it
1: work you made it yeah,
0: work well yeah, if I shot a a, a stainless steel insert with a one seventy five it was basically the same as an aluminum insert with a two hundred uh you know three to one ratio I yep. am the last guy to worry about that shit, so I'm like he was worried about getting me long ones. I'm like, dude, I don't care i'm a, i i the last thing when that arrow comes off the string, am I worried about? Is man, is my broadhead long enough? I just don't worry about that, right? <laughs> so, I, but that's not this. I mean, if I was shooting a three to one ratio head, I wouldn't. You know, I mean, I would have been just as happy. Um, I was happy right. to see the devastation that 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 shorty titanium did just for feedback for for Brent because it was a poke for a stick bow um it was mm-hmm. a big deer i'm mean, one probably the biggest mule deer i've ever shot i mean this thing looked like an elk um and it looked like I got hit with a a rifle on the offside now dude i may go up to alberta and be walking home saying can you send me some longer ones uh please you know like <laughs> shit happens every time you hunt you know you're it's it's amazing yep. uh my buddy I'm not gonna say his name. He shot a two hundred plus inch mule deer. He shoots a he's a four hundred ten grain arrow guy. And we give him uh, we've given him a bunch of not shit. We've just said, man, I'd shoot a heavier arrow. And uh he saw the devastation of Frank's buck. He hit a two hundred inch buck, got about four inches of penetration, and <laughs> I saw him at the archery range. He's like, dude, I should have listened. Never am I gonna shoot a sub five hundred arrow again. He's like, Man, that thing because I told that story of what made me shoot heavier arrows years ago. I hit yeah. a, I hit a buck and had the same thing happen. You know, hit it, ran off, looked like it hit a piece of wood, arrow flipped out. I cried like a bitch. And I, it just didn't have enough ass behind it. And so, you know, he's like, yep, I'm setting up some heavier arrows, you know, like this, <laughs> he about cried. And again... I don't know how many times you've walked in the woods of any of gear in general, not just arrows, where you thought you had it all figured out, your hunt turned into a shit show, and your your gear list may have changed a bit from that potential specific crisis or whatever.
1: It's it's a live and learn. Every time you dump the string, I think those are the biggest learning opportunities in hunting. Every time you let an arrow go or shoot at an animal, whatever that outcome is, there's there's nothing that'll change your mindset than a, an unsuccessful shot or less than desirable results from that so that's i I definitely think there's you know some good like rules of thumb to apply to uh, a specific arrow build or whatever but that's kind of what we talked about earlier right there's foc shouldn't become the, the the main priority or your um, total arrow weight shouldn't become the priority. There's kind of just this little world that you, this safe bubble, right? That's probably going to do awesome no matter what. And if you live in that spectrum, who cares? You're probably going to be okay. You won't, you won't regret having an arrow set up that way. But maybe you will. Maybe you'll have a 500 grain arrow and you'll hit a deer square in the shoulder. And for some weird reason, something doesn't work. That's just hunting period.
0: I, where a lot of this debacle comes from, or, or again, you know, and the internet's great, you know, lots of information, whatever, but you, you do got a lot of infor- misinformation as well that um, you know, in, in bro science, you do get some some bro science <laughs> in archery and uh, we had a guy yeah. on the other day who's like um, a connective tissue muscle uh, specialist um, uh-huh. and he was talking about the bro science and bow hunting, Coming from a guy who studied the human body and anatomy for his whole life, right? This is all he's done. He's a third-degree black belt in jujitsu and competes, and he's a very well-rounded guy, and he just woke up one day, basically listened to the podcast, Brian and I, and wanted to go bow hunting. wanted to feed his family. Like It was very important that he took an animal and brought it home and fed his family. And he was so cool. Oh, dude, he was funny. Well, it's funny because he was talking about the bro science shit, right? Like, and dude, you've (laughs) lifted enough. I don't know how much dumb shit I've done in the gym or nutrition from something of straight bro science, where later on I talk to a nutritionist who's looking at me like I'm the dumbest dude. (laughs) You did what? (laughs) And I'm like, well, this dude said it. She's like, this dude, did this dude have a college education? I'm like, no, I think he's an electrician. Uh, is this, and I'm like, I don't know. It's just what he told me. Don't yell at me. I don't know what I'm doing. I, and that's why I'm here. And, uh, I mean, (laughs) what are some of the, uh, I get, I mean, when I say, say bro science things, what I'm talking about is maybe a known person will come up with something that is new or different or original that pretty soon becomes gospel. And it may not be actually true or factual. Let's say, you ever seen the guys that fletch arrows, where you put them offset? I've seen Evan Williams do it, where there's like a pile of veins going down your shaft, and they're not all on the same plane. They're kind of offset. You no, know.
1: trying to basically replicate rifling, right?
0: Yeah, and maybe that shit does work. I mean, I don't know, but I, I don't. I've never seen Levi Morgan do it. I certainly haven't seen. I don't know. Tim Gillingham does it, but. Maybe it does work or or things like that that become kind of gospel as time goes on where, you know, it's maybe not bro science, but it's certainly something that maybe hasn't been tested, but someone did it. And then pretty soon it's the new cool thing to to do. And that, and that does happen a lot in the outdoor industry.
1: Oh, absolutely. Because that, at the end of the day, right, it's like everything's always building and evolving. I mean, a perfect example of kind of what you're just talking about, like I shoot a two-fletch right? One time I saw a picture of Joel Turner shooting two fleshings and I said, I'm going to figure out how to do that. And my arrows fly perfect. It makes, it makes no difference. Um, I've got, I guess, my own theories and stipulations and all these kind of things that through my own testing or whatever, and none of it's doctrine. I guess, I guess I'm, I'm creating my own bro science, if you will. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think there's things that take off like that. I mean, I used to know guys that shoot you know four five inch banana fletches or whatever and it's just like it sounded like a rocket launcher going through the air and a lot of that stuff i feel and i guess maybe my theory behind my bro science idea of q fletch is that it's compensating for a poor tune and just lack of information or lack of people's ability to be consistent and that's okay obviously at the end of the day you got to do whatever you got to do to get your arrow to fly straight but Within reason, as that evolves, I think you can, can minimize the amount of uh, training wheels, I guess, uh, that, that you have on a system. And I think people people are drawn to that because it's new, because it's different, and that's just the world we live in. It's Whatever's the hottest chick in the room that day, that's what everyone's talking about.
0: Oh, yeah, and I mean, dude, you nailed it on the, the four or five-inch chicken feathers because – I shoot those on, on on mine, and I did it. Tom Clum had four or five inch feathers. I put them on <laughs> mine. Uh, you know what? I, I was like, oh, okay, that's what he's doing. I put them on mine. Yeah, and Tom's pl-
1: doing it, right? I mean, yeah.
0: but I'm too chicken shit to change. But I know I don't need uh half a chicken wing on the back of my arrow because my freaking bear shafts hit in the group at fifty. So I probably that's, don't need 15 yep. inches of helical feather on my. <laughs>
1: and, and that, that's what that's what kind of inspired that that entire thing. I'm like, well, why are guys bear shafting an arrow and having it fly like darn near perfect, and then throwing all this crap on the back end of their arrow that that causes additional variables into the flight? Like that, that just didn't make sense to me. <laughs> no, I, and, and
0: and 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 again, you know, you bring it up, perfect because. I initially am like, well, it is more stability. My release isn't great. And, you know, just kind of uh, looking at it on a common sense, more feather, more stability, it might help me out. Well, then it got to a a point where I killed a bunch of shit. And I'm like, well, now I'm afraid to change. But I know damn good and well I don't need all that on there. But then I'm going to have to reinvent the wheel and tune and – I don't want to mess with that right now. So I do... Not right now. <laughs> yeah. But I know like I, I, you know, in the off season, I really want to mess with, um, just because my point on is 40, so it makes life simple, group tuning like I would with a compound with like three, um like two and three quarter, uh, whatever those crazy high profile cuts are, the, the V looking... What do they call those? Oh, yeah, the, like the
1: razor, the razor cut or something yeah, the, like that.
0: The razor cuts, and I want to do some with the five or four-inch, you know, standard, do some with two-fletch and just group tune and see. I mean, because, you know, if you, if I don't need everything back there, then I don't want to have to have it because it's also more wind drag, um, you know, going mm-hmm. down range. So, yeah, I mean, and I, I certainly wouldn't call two-fletch bro science. Um in the sense, it, it works, man. I, I actually know a ton of guys that shoot two-fletch, two and they shoot two-fletch. Two, they shoot two and three. Uh, well, they shoot single and double bevel, um, and they'll shoot a cut-on contact, uh, you know, like a cutthroat. But they'll also shoot like a Valkyrie. They don't have any issues with it either, um, you know, getting them to yep. tune and hit. Uh, I'm just too much of a chicken shit to change is what it really boils down to for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? You go with like what like you know. I
1: like drink too much.
0: Yeah. Well, and you're shooting, I mean, you shoot a lot and you shoot well, so it's not like you threw it on there and it's a poke and hope. I mean, obviously, you know, you're getting good results out of that. And I mean, Joel, as much as I like to make fun of Joel, he can shoot. I mean,
1: (laughs) you know what I mean? No doubt about it, man. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Well, what, um, with, uh, being in the traditional side of things for, you know, quite a while or, or, I mean, cause you're relatively young, but how old are you anyway? I can't remember.
1: Um, uh, I just had a, uh, 28. I'm 28 now. I just had a birthday. I forget. And how long did you realize that first...
0: <laughs> old son of a, no. <laughs> you and Frank, man, you're twins. Um, how long have you been shooting a stick bow?
1: I do think this will be my sixth year. I was trying fifth to figure year. it out. This the is other my fifth, fifth season right now. Yeah. This will, this is my fifth year of shooting traditional archery. The year I switched, um, I got home from a, from an LDS mission and met one of my good friends, Jeff, and just head over heels with it. And I drew a limited entry tag. And uh, actually, I think you know my really good friend Ryan Stedman. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually he's actually saying hello to me right now. He's sitting in the office. But
0: <laughs> tell him I said hi. Yeah, uh, I think I, I just sent him a new pack.
1: You did you did, dude. Thank you for doing that, by the way. That means a lot to me.
0: Oh yeah, no, no problem. Tell him I farted in but, it though. Uh, I dropped a big bomb before I sent that thing out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh no, but anyways, I just I, I got into it and, and I I actually Ryan was helping South uh Ryan still shoots one of South's bows and Ryan was kinda helping uh South facilitate basically his demo pro demo bow program and he had one of South bows and this is when I was like dabbling in it and uh, anyways I met up with Ryan and I, if you've met Ryan in person he's a, a man of large stature and quite intimidating until he smiles but just the nicest guy but anyways he uh, let me borrow one of his one of south bows and we got to talk and he's like yeah I've got four points for this unit I'm like well I've got six and I was like if we just put in together this next year I'm like we should average out we should be guaranteed tags and we didn't even know each other. Didn't even know each other. I mean, that was the first time we met, and that was the first conversation we had. And uh, we ended up both uh, drawing that, that limited entry tag together, and I sucked at shooting, and Ryan was a lot better than me. Ryan actually got a shot. I didn't, but it was uh... – anyways, I just that, that's kind of how I got into traditional archery. Kind of funny. It sucked because I ate a really good tag. I probably should have used a compound, but <laughs> – yeah. Oh,
0: that's that's funny. The uh um and as long as you've been in it, you've kind of even though old crusties get all pissed off when I say this, but they can suck it. Uh you've been in it since the the baby boomer traditional archery boom kind of has kicked off. Um you know because you would have a hard time convincing me that 5 years ago traditional archery was even valid in in very large circles obviously it was when I say valid I know I'm not taking away anything from it obviously traditional archery but meaning there is a huge influx of traditional archery shooters in the last few years Um, what do you think about that Um, just out of my own kind of curiosity like where do you see and you and I have talked about mostly me making fun of other things but like some of the traditional archery stuff is kind of stuck in their own ways, and they're never going to change. But yep, as as a growth side of things, those those oh man, without sounding like a total a hole here, uh, some of the tried and true, whether it be a publication or a um, a group or whatever, they're kind of getting passed by because traditional archery is going no matter what, no matter they like the fact a lot of guys will run rangefinders, or they like the fact that there's a younger crew getting into it and they may run more aluminum or carbon riser bows, it's just yeah. growing. I mean, what what do you kind yeah. of think about all of that, and where do you see it going? Do you, th- you think it'll keep kind of – do you think it'll plateau,
1: or do you think it'll keep booming out? No, I, th- I think it'll – you know, I, I obviously compounds have grown and grown and grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. And grown, and grown. And they continue, and I I think traditional archery will probably kind of follow that same trend to kind of what you said earlier. There's definitely, I call it old traditional doctrine, if you will, right? These guys were so uh, kind of just set in their ways that there were certain ways to do things, and that was probably the best way to do them in the time that they learned, right? Since those times, I mean, we're shooting carbon arrows, we're shooting super efficient limbs and different string materials. And there's all sorts of things that have changed since that time. And whether you want to call that traditional or not, that's, that's totally fine. But I think they've been good improvements and they've changed and grown. And I hunt with the rangefinder, even though I, shoot, yeah. I guess a gap instinctive, whatever you want to call it, I, I look at what I want to shoot out to, you know, around 40 yards. And then from there I start gapping. I still range animals unless they're right next to me, but I'm always ranging stuff. And it's just that additional confidence I have going into that shot. And I shoot the best carbon arrows I can find. And I shoot obviously really expensive broadheads and really expensive bows, but that's just how I choose to enjoy traditional archery. And it's definitely grown, uh, I guess, since I, since I originally got into it and when I did get into it, I was reading and going through all that, I guess, old trad doctrine. There'd be old traditional forms or magazines, and there's some still some, some cool stuff out there that I still enjoy reading from some of those publications and whatnot. Uh, but I'm like, man, I don't think these guys know what's out there because I'm living in a compound world, right? I mean, bows Bose were my life for five years working at Hoyt, so it's like I knew what else was out there, And then as soon as I just got introduced to traditional archery, I'm like, man, I think there's a way better way to do this. And not that that my way is right, but I was like, man, there's gotta be something that I can do to be more efficient. Right. Cause guys are like, Oh, like you can't shoot past 20 yards. Like, why not? It's like, I've killed a handful of animals out to 40 yards. What's wrong with that? My arrows zip through all of them. It's like, just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad. So I think, I think things are changing, changing for the better. Um, I think there's better information out there now than when I started, and I've I've never even done anything with them, but I've written like a couple like little articles and stuff. I was actually going to send them to a to a particular publication, but was kind of turned away because it didn't coincide with their core demographic, um, aka some of those older gentlemen that don't want to change the way that they do things, which is fine. But I've got all these these, these tuning articles and and things that I go through and how I tune bows. And I've shared those with a lot of people and I get a handful of messages uh, every week of people like, Hey, I'm getting into traditional archery. I heard you on, on a podcast or I I saw you shoot on YouTube or something like that. Like, this is what I'm going through. And I can't tell you how many bows I've tuned through social media. I'm like, okay, shoot it through paper at six feet. Send me a picture. Okay. Take two, take two twists out of your bottom loop and shim out your, your shelf. Boom, bullet hole. They're like, whoa, I had no idea. I could have never done that. So I think there's better information now, back to what I'm saying, than there was before. And it's allowing and increasing that retention that we kind of talked about before where there wasn't information. There was this giant influx of people getting bows, and nobody knew how to do anything with them. And so they weren't able to enjoy it, so they got rid of their bows. And now there's good information, good education. Uh, I know the push guys are working with Uh, The gentleman over at uh, Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear and with Joel, and it sounds like they're going to come out with a a great educational series. And there's just, there's more available now than there was. And because of that, I see it growing and growing and becoming more popular because it's a very efficient and effective way to hunt, if you can do it correctly and learn the right ways to do it.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. And I mean, one, I just suck at failing. So obviously, like the deer hunt, um, I about killed myself trying to get one. The other thing, I hate my daughter to ever. I don't want ever. I want her to know if you put your mind to something, you know, you can do it. Uh, you know what 100%. I mean. One hundred percent. But I also, you know, as far as traditional archers go, I mean, I think it's important. You can be successful consistently if and i'm not everybody's gonna have my schedule you know obviously like i i've got a pretty pretty cool schedule as far as that goes high stress level cool cool, yeah. cool schedule but if you put <laughs> the time into effort time and effort into practicing and and you um are pretty diligent on the you know the hunting side you you can be successful and it's far more at least for me far more rewarding um Packing out an animal um, that I've taken with a the traditional bow and with a compound for me. And a prime example is I had that wide buck, which is just a you know 34 inch ish wide, probably oh. 190 plus, you know, bucket at, at 48 yards, which is. Yeah, not a done deal, but pretty much a done deal with a compound for me. Um, And I had this buck here at thirty something um, that I killed. Both of them are cool bucks. I mean, the one I killed is probably eight years old, crazy bases. But I guarantee I I got more out of shooting the buck that I shot, which is a smaller buck. um, You know, very old, but but smaller in inches than that wide buck with the compound because of the amount of effort. I had to put into it to to get it. Now, having said that, if I had a compound, the season would have been over opening day. But I wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have had the adventures, wouldn't have got my ass kicked, wouldn't have learned what I've learned. I mean, it's just more rewarding with a stick bow.
1: I echo everything you said in the fullest, man. You you couldn't describe it any better. I mean, I, I still haven't killed anything that people by social media standards would consider big. I haven't. I've killed a lot of things, but I find satisfaction in filling my tags, man. And it's so exciting to have an animal in the red zone and that arrow's knocked, man. And it's like, man, if I get to full draw, you're dead. And that's just that's just one of those things that's even though you're confident, there's still a little bit of unknown. And I think that's what keeps it exciting and what makes it rewarding. Because at the end of the day, no matter how good you are with a recurve, you can always be better. And I feel like with some of the, maybe even with the compound or a rifle, like you can reach a point where you're pretty dang freaking good and you might not get any better. And I guess it's the journey and the draw progression and the challenge that draws me to the traditional side of things. And I'm not saying that people can't be better shots with compounds. I'm not saying that they can't be better with a rifle. But I'm just saying I think that learning curve is expedited. It's a little bit shorter. And so that, that challenge, it's like... I have to shoot my bow almost every day to stay good. I have to shoot my bow regularly to be lethal, to do the things and and hunt the way I want to hunt. And it, it keeps you passionate. It keeps you driven. It keeps you excited. And then when you do get in the woods and you are able to punch a tag, whether it's a 34 inch wide and one class deer, or just an old mature, heavy buck, like the one you killed there. And it's like, you're going to be happy with either, but it's, it's just so much more gratifying to do it in the ways that you did it and get your butt kicked. Like you said, you learn a lot more. I don't know if, I don't know. I mean, you were obviously a very experienced hunter before you switched to hunting with the trad bow, but do, do you feel like you've learned new things that you could not have learned if you hadn't picked up the recurve?
0: Oh yeah, man. Cause how hard is it to, there's not a lot of hunting going on when I drop a bomb at 80. I mean, I, you
1: know right I mean? that's, that's shooting that's not hunting <laughs> yeah and, and i'm
0: not you know t- i mean i'm not taking away I mean, you hunt for your own reasons and i'd be a hypocrite to say anything right. about right. shooting long distance but I, I well i brian call for example good example the f- first time we went elk hunting i kind of just stumble through the woods if there's no elk calling and if something hops up and runs out i shoot it and Brian can't yep. shoot for shit. Or at that time he couldn't. He's better now. I mean, and don't take that the wrong way, Brian. But you sucked when I met you. And he <laughs> was equivalent to a recurve shooter. You know what I mean? Roughly uh, a good recurve shooter and his ability shooting a compound. He's much better now. Right. But. He's like, well, if you weren't walking through the woods like a gorilla and, and I had the stick bow in my hand, I'm like, I don't know. It's always worked for me, dude, if they I'm not that loud or anyway. And now I still probably walk through the woods way too loud, but I have to be more patient, more methodical, more precise. And the biggest thing is, is on the patient side of things that you learn is, and and Frank is is definitely picking up, hanging around with me and and talking with Harold Ferenbrook, um and others. You, even with a compound, there's really no reason. And, and again, this will sound hypocritical because I've dropped some bombs. Getting within fifty to sixty yards is not that difficult. Um, and, and, I, and I say, I agreed you know, to I, the fullest
1: man. <laughs> and, and,
0: and Frank said he wanted to try to shoot within forty this year, and he, and he did. But what you learn is the animals, and this seems very simple, but. The animals are not leaving if you do your part. But with a compound, a lot of times if you roll up and you see an elk and they're feeding, adrenaline hits, it's at 65 yards, boom, arrows off, you might kill it, you might miss it, whatever. And there wasn't a lot of, of, um, of learning or of hunting, or I'm not taking any way saying there's no hunt there, but when you have a stick bow, it may be an hour or two hours before the arrow leaves the string and you learn like, man, I can get away with a lot. Like I sat yeah. above one of the groups of bucks this year at 25 yards for 15 minutes, just sitting there waiting. And, you know, the the buck I killed, same kind of thing. I I, I had to sit down mostly because my calves were burning it so steep and just sat. I would have never done that shit ever with a compound. I would have let her rip, tater chip. Oh. Where here I'm like, well, I better figure out a different route cuz this isn't going to work and I'm at a par 2 right now. So I'm going to have to close the distance and you got to you got to <laughs> wait and you learn I don't do I don't do any chucklehead moves. I don't do any stupid I stay watch the animals, see what they're doing. St- you know, watch the wind, no noise, and pretty soon all right, I, I'm inside of 15, 20 yards, whatever, 25 and the animal still has no idea I'm there. I very rarely, if ever, had to do that with a compound because when I got to 40 or 50, I just shot it or 80. Yeah. So, no, I've learned quite a bit, not really about in the shooting. Obviously, I've learned a ton about shooting a stick bow, but meaning, you know, I've I've had to become more methodical and sneakier and, and rely more on my hunting skills than my shooting skills. And I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, I shot things far away, like (laughs) very far away with a compound. And I don't, I don't, (laughs) I mean, I enjoy every one of those hunts. Like I wouldn't take any of them back, but I know now like, um, oh, a good example, that mule deer I shot with Frank a couple of years ago, you know, that was one of those Uh things. I would have never shot that at three or four feet, uh, with a compound. I would have never even thought to stand on the rock above it. I, you know, it would never have crossed my mind. I would have pivot around and dropped a bomb at eighty and shot it in its bed, where, you know, I ended up, you know, basically when I my broadhead almost hit it in the horn. when I drew back, it was so close. Yeah, that shit don't happen with a compound, not with me. It just doesn't happen. so,
1: yeah, I, I and, and it's cool because I mean, everybody enjoys different experiences, right? But even just that little number I shot, obviously shooting in close, I mean, I could, I could hear him chewing the grass as he was walking by. I shoot him. Boom, arrow goes zipping through him, and he just stands there and continues to chew his grass. Doesn't even know he's been shot. I would have never had that experience with any other type of weapon. He, I mean, compound going off a little bit louder, he probably would have known something was there, and it's not that that bow was dead silent. But that was just such a cool experience, man. And I felt like, for me, I was like, man, that's like that was the pinnacle of of a bow hunting or a hunting experience to be in the red zone, to see the whites of the animal's eyes, to pick the very hair you want to shoot, to shoot it right there. And then to shoot it, it doesn't know it's been shot, goes over, gets the stinky leg, lays down and passes. It's like, dude, that, that, it was, it was a very pinnacle moment. And, and, and like the satisfaction that I feel in hunting, I felt very accomplished in doing that. And I, I love, I think, uh, Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear, touching kind of what you're talking about from, from a distance perspective. And I don't know if it was their Facebook banner or something like that, um, but it was something to the extent, and I'll probably just slaughter this, but it was, the hunt doesn't end at 60 yards. It's just beginning. Yeah. I'm he- like, that's freaking cool. Like, that's so cool. Like, that just gives me goosebumps. Like, that's the challenge of hunting. It's like, how close can I get before this animal figures out I'm there. And that's a fun challenge.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and you're going to, you see up in Alberta, there's going to be, I would bet you'll be ready to snap that fucking Wingard in half on day three (laughs) and then day four, there'll be one bedded perfect. And you'll make sweet love to it. Uh, And and it just seems (laughs) to be that way up there where there's going to be just ones that are unattainable, you know, with a stick. When I say on it, meaning that day, that specific. And then, the stars align and you know birds chirp and unicorns run across the path and then all of a sudden boom you're within uh, inside of twenty yards and you're like oh okay and and that's with hunting everywhere the thing with Alberta is you can see for so long you know what for so far because it's it's open where we're at um, that mm-hmm. that you can really um you know you're gonna see uh, what's the, when you're in the high country, there's in watching South's videos, just, there's some stocks you look and they just kind of mold together from blind shithouse luck. The deer went a certain direction, <laughs> it panned out to your favor, yep. or you get one bedded in the cliffs or whatever. Where you know, it's kind of the same up there, you may glass one and you're gonna probably get nervous. I, I know for me, like I get excited when I see one bed in a certain spot because it's like, oh. Ooh, that, that one's doable. Okay, <laughs> that one I can kill. <laughs> and, and it's super cool doing it that way. And and sometimes they bed in some strange shit, like, you know what I mean? Like you know, like in the shade by old farmhouses or whatever where you're like, what the hell? But uh I'm excited <laughs> for you to get up there and the and the unit we're going into is um it's unique because it's like really rolling, and you can you can walk quite a ways and pick apart these like drainages. Um, yeah. But they bed in this red brush a lot, and you gotta be. That's one thing, like that if anything, where I'll, I'll be able to help you out is there are certain things that you just don't know until you hunt up there that you really have to pay that attention to. Like an extra four feet, you wouldn't think that would be that big of a difference when a deer's bedded away at four hundred yards. Yeah, they get up and run up there. It's disheartening. Like you, you really just want to like stab yourself in the eyeball. Like I only went three feet farther than I should have, and he was three hundred and fifty yards away, and he ran. Like what the hell? See, you know, you got to be super, right. you know, methodical in your glassing and movements. But I'm excited. I think you'll love it, man. It, it's addictive. I, I I really like it up there.
1: Well, you. But if you're up there for a couple of weeks, just tie one to a brush for me, or a tree, or find, or one of those farmhouses. Just put a little. Uh... A little noose around its neck probably probably that i'd be okay like 170
0: 180 <laughs> oh yeah well I th- that's part of the plan i think too is where i can kind of scout out ahead of time for everyone and, and get an idea of what's what and and i mean like for me dude if you get one i mean literally 155 160 bedded believe me i'm gonna be humping your leg trying to get your ass out of the truck to go shoot it or take off because lander i don't know what pipe he's smoking i mean he guides up there of course he's can hold out a little bit more but he's a one in five years guy you know what i mean like he's usually killing yeah i'm not that guy i'm a one in one year guy like i want to shoot one every year (laughs) and so like last year i shot i don't know how big that buck was one sixties, and he was not overly thrilled with me that i didn't hold out longer and He's like, yeah, that's what I love about you, though. You're happy. I'm like, dude, I'm always happy. Like, I love this buck. It's great. I shot the wrong deer, but I'm happy I got it. And for me, a 160 <laughs> buck, dude, oh, it, yeah. especially with a stick, dude, that's that's a big buck. A true, not an internet 160, like a true 160.
1: <laughs> no, you 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 won't have to you won't have to push me out of the truck too hard, man. That's I already told Jeff. I'm like, I would love, I would love to even just stock a giant, giant deer just to have that experience because I might not get that anywhere else. But at the end of the day, if I can shoot a 150 inch deer, or like sneak up on one bedded, like I love, I, like I hunt for experience, like a like really cool experience. If I can kill a deer, regardless of the size, from a sweet stock, just an awesome encounter, I'll be tickled pink, dude. I don't care how big it ends up being. Just as long as I can have a rad experience.
0: Yeah, and that's the other thing up there, dude, is you don't ever know what's coming out of the next nook and cranny. I, Lander had no idea yeah. of that one buck I stocked and he was well over 200 inches, like just freak show, cover of any catalog type of buck, and I got to 55, <laughs> and... I just I waited for three, four, five hours just waiting. Actually, it was super depressing because I'm not very good at that. But it was the kind of thing where I actually <laughs> dropped in there for a different buck and saw this root wad in the middle of the prairie twisting its head around by, you know, bear grass. I'm like, sweet baby Whoa. Jesus. <laughs> and, you know, immediately was like, oh, my God, it didn't see me. I may be able to kill this thing. And. It was some of the coolest f- five hours of my life. You know, I, I didn't end up killing it. Does came through. But, um, you know, how often, I mean, let's say the buck on the low end was, was 205. How often are you laying 55 yards for a buck that's 205 for three to five hours?
1: Exactly. Yeah, it just did not exactly, happen. Exactly, man. If I can do that once, even if I don't kill it, dude, if I can do that once, just be that close to that big of a deer, I'll be pumped, man. I'll be tickled pink.
0: Well, it's probably a good thing I was shooting a buffalo at that time because I probably would have snapped a a widow or a a wingard in half if it was wood because when that buck took off, I was like (laughs) – you've got to be shitting me oh man i was just chucking across the prairie (laughs) oh i was depressed but no it'll it'll be uh it'll be good hopefully we don't freeze to death that's the only thing uh it does get cold up there especially when you're just sitting there glass and it's just freezing but um yeah Yeah. it it is a fun deal that's one thing i was gonna say if you don't have a whoopee we may want to bring you one up because i'm I'm sucked in that thing like Laura Ingalls on the prairie. Anytime I'm out there glassing, I'm wrapped up in that woobie because it's so damn cold.
1: Well, if you've got a spare laying around, man, bring it up with you. I won't say no to that. I'm a I'm a wuss when it comes to the cold. I don't have enough body fat on me to keep me insulated. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: well, I, I packed. I got a case of hot hands, but you may want to bring up some extra of those, too. Those things are
1: lifesavers. <laughs> well, I'll plan on it, man.
0: Cool. Well, man, I should probably actually do some real live work, but uh, I appreciate you coming on, and I'm definitely looking forward to this hunt coming up.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a blast, man. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, been awesome to catch up on everything, and here in a couple of weeks, we'll be chasing some big bucks. It's going to be fun.
0: For sure. Everyone, pay a great pay. T- <laughs> well, none of us are great at Insta stories, but. We will all do our best to keep everyone uh, updated on the Insta stories or whatever. So uh, a Frank is the worst one. Usually you get a nutsack f- post or something horrible <laughs> from Fra- Frank. Frank's probably the crudest of the group. Oh, Lord. There's some things I have to make him delete. It's He's got no no shame. It's bad. But either way, man. Well, cool. I appreciate you again coming on. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. And uh, it's what are you, uh, Matt? What's your on uh, Insta- Instagram? What are you?
1: uh matthew b davis there you go my name so all those
0: drad questions send them to matt instead of me (laughs) (laughs) thank god yeah no problem all right man take it easy you too brother